Welcome, Travelers Blueprint community. I'm Elliot Shibley, and here with me, as always, is the Neoteric, Bob Domena. Neoteric. Yeah. Uh, what do we? What does that mean? Me, it is a name. word I just learned today, mm. and so? it means a modern person and someone <laughs> who advocates new ideas. Dude, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome. You're you, always coming to me with new ideas. Like, what if we did this? <laughs> and what if we did this after we did that? You know, it, it's uh, it was it was a slow year. I had a lot of time to think, and uh, <laughs> that, that's where we are. Um, today's guest is one of my all-time favorite people now on the planet. I really like this guy. He's definitely my favorite Scottish person. And you know, we're not going to tell him that he's the only Scottish guy I know. Hey, careful, careful, Yana. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Which you're you right. guys haven't met yet. She'll be on our Teaching Abroad Travel Around Table series. Right, we haven't released that one yet. But nonetheless, I love this guy. He he was a big part of our trip to Peru. He helped us plan it, everything from planning it to actually experiencing with us. With yeah, he joined us for an entire day. Right, right. And, and we brushed up on that a little bit. But today we're talking about a brand new country, Colombia. And... This country is not on most people's travel radar, not the typical traveler anyway. And Matt Waugh, our guest, is changing that. He yes. is ex he's expanding his tours to Colombia, into the jungles, the beaches, the cities. We got into it today. Really informative, great conversationalist. Love the he's, guy. He's really again. excited about it. Uh, yeah. And he has us hooked like by the end of that conversation like oh, yeah. I, I knew i wanted to go to colombia and i knew i wanted to go hang out with matt again in south america but it's all but it's all but solidified now now it's a matter of just logistically figuring out when and for how long we can go uh so really excited for this conversation but and we also we get... hear a little bit of his uh i guess mishap uh-huh uh-huh uh yeah and what happened to him while he Mis was there doing some I mean, research mishap by mishap you mean stuck in colombia oh, don't ruin it the yeah okay <laughs> uh, you know what? you're right you're right you're right you're gonna have to listen so what, what do we before we get into it what do we have going on oh yeah so we have our consulting services which bob helps you with in terms of e either planning your planning your trip building itineraries but more specifically, if you need help finding flights, we will help you establish what a base airfare would be, and then we can help you find cheaper flights, and then we just take a small percentage of your savings, not of the overall flight, but however much you save, we just take 20%, and that saves you time, and it helps you know, support our podcast. And Bob, weirdly, loves doing it. Mm -hmm. So that's all on him. Also, we have <laughs> our travel around, or yeah, travel around table series, which is the last Monday of every month. Very informative, talks about different topics related to travel. Sometimes they're discussions on how we can make travel better, how we can improve travel, or just how you can get started in certain ways of travel, like teaching abroad or being a digital nomad or backpacking. Uh, very awesome discussions and always, always educational. And we have our Traveler's Blueprint tutorial videos, which are available for purchase now for $25. And it basically helps you become your own travel agent. Something where you might spend thousands of dollars to pay a travel agent will help teach you to do in an hour and 15 minutes. There are five topics. First, navigation. Second, airfare booking. Third, research and blogs, or restaurant and blog research, sifting through all of that information to help you find a good fit for you in terms of where to eat and activities to do. Number four is itinerary layout, something that Bob excels at, and he will help you 
figure out how to make your own itineraries with all the information you need. And then the last one, which I think is less technical, but will help you enjoy your trips the most. And that is understanding safety, the local and cultural norms of your destination, and how to be more thoughtful when you travel. Mm -hmm. and, and if you, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, I just, you, you give me a lot of credit for these. And I did put in most of the effort for the actual figuring out how to plan. But I do want to give you credit for you put this together. You put it into the video format. You created the animation. And so I want to give you a little bit of a shout out, a pat on the back. Couldn't have been done without you. Thanks, Bob. And I, I appreciate that. It was fun to do with you. We're a good team. And that goes back to be you being neoteric. You always come to me with new ideas. Mm, mm, full circle. Full circle. <laughs> and then before we get into the episode with Matt, I just want to say follow us on social media between Instagram, Facebook, and our YouTube channels. You get some video content from us. You can see pictures from our guests. And on Facebook and Instagram, you can interact directly with us and our guests. And Bob is now messing with his light and his green Sorry. screen. Sorry. So now let's get into the episode with Matt. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Matt, welcome back to the Traveler's Blueprint podcast. Hi, guys. Good to see you again, hear from you again. It's been a while since our little adventure in Peru. I know yes. that you guys had a great time. We did. Um, maybe suffered from the altitude a little bit earlier. <laughs> yes, that's what it was. Yeah, that's something, that's, that's, that's something I wanted to bring up. So the last time we saw you was uh, <laughs> at the train station, um, but we had spent the day together traveling through Peru through a car, uh, you know, a driver that you knew. Thank you for that. But we had met you early in the morning um, and you, you helped us get from Cusco to Alaytintambo. Uh, we and went to Pisac first. Yeah, we Pisac went to Pisac. First. Well, we met you at Pisac, and Pisac was beautiful. It was amazing. I loved that experience. But Elliot and I had a little too much to drink before the night before. <laughs> we partied a little too hard, made that typical gringo mistake, as I think I learned after the fact. Yeah. Um, well, and we were struggling. Advice, guys. I gave you good <laughs> advice, good solid advice to take on board. But, you know, yeah. when in Rome, Matt, when in Rome. You know, well, and that was the night. That was the night that we saw you, wasn't it? And then we decided to go out after that. Uh, we yeah. had we had met Matt, and he's the one that got us going. He's the one that brought us to the brewery, and we started yeah. drinking. <laughs> then you went home and left us out, and we ended up staying out until, oh man, I don't know, very early in the morning. So the next day was quite a struggle, but yeah, it's still especially waking up three hours after you go to bed. Well, you never yeah. paid the babysitter early fee, so I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't get a wage for babysitting you any further. So. <laughs> That's a fair yeah. point. Yeah, Maybe we should incorporate that next time. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, today, so, you know, something I do want to say, if you're listening to this and you want to hear about our discussion on Peru with Matt, you can go and check out episode 23, I believe it was. I just had it up, but uh, yeah, 23. And we, we go through hiking uh, in Peru, um, Machu Picchu, and things like that. So definitely check that out. And Today, some, of the, some of the tours he has with the Inca Trail and sustainable hikes. Correct, 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 yeah. correct. Today we're going to talk about Colombia. 
another country in South America that we're both, Elliot and I are both extremely interested in going to and something that, you know, a place that you now operate tours yourself. And that's going to be an exciting conversation. However, we're going to start with a story you have about how you were impacted by coronavirus as soon as it as soon as it hit the world by storm, lockdowns were instilled across the, the world, sports uh, were canceled, concerts were canceled, and you were in Colombia. What happened to you? Mm. Well, <laughs> um, I was running a tour, actually. I had a group of uh, about 12 people who followed me around Colombia, like the Pied Piper does, you know, and... And we finished our tour on the 14th of March. Now, obviously, things were changing daily, uh, on a daily basis with regards to what was happening in Europe and various countries shutting down. And obviously, the COVID case rate was increasing in some countries. I think Spain and France were really bad at that point. But um, we are focused on a tour. And obviously, a lot of the tour that we do, um, we go into areas that are a little bit off beaten track. So we go and visit a, vill a village that's with a, an indigenous community. And we go off and do a four day trek to the lost city. And we're not on, you know, we're not online. We're not on, uh, we're not able to receive or give out um, communications from where we are for a few days of the, of the trip. And one of the final, um, segments of this tour was the Lost City Trek, which is four days out in the, the jungles of northern Peru and northern Colombia. And when we got back, we'd obviously been paying a little bit of attention to what was going on in Europe, but we were like, we're out in South America. Most of the other countries are in the same boat. Nobody's really affected as such with this corona thing that was going on in Europe. It seemed to be escalating primarily in Asia and then into Europe. We thought we we're okay here at the moment. Um, our main worry was getting getting everybody home on the flights because they were booked to fly back to Europe and nobody wanted to go into quarantine as soon as they touched down and whether it was Madrid or Paris or wherever they were flying into from, from Bogota in Colombia. So at that point, we just made sure we kept track of what was happening with the flights and obviously it was an hour by hour thing at this point you know with what was going on in Europe um, but everybody got on their flights they were departing to various parts of Europe not everybody was on the same flight home and everybody got home and back into Romania um, apart from one Canadian girl who was going back to um, Quebec <laughs> and she got quarantined for 14 days as, as she touched down in, in Canada so but she was in her home country at least there was no connection to get somewhere else so yeah I mean the 14th of March everyone got home but I'd already pre-planned to visit another part of Colombia see what I do is every time I go out to Colombia because I'm not based there I try and make the most of doing a tour with a group and then going and checking out a new area I've never been to do, to do some research. So I went to this specific region of Colombia called Santander, which is a um, beautiful uh, outback, Colombian outback, where uh, I'll go into a little bit later in the program, if you like. Um, but it's quite remote. And there's no, I mean, the nearest airport from where I was was three hours drive. So anyway, cut a long story short. As soon as everyone left Bogota, I said goodbye. 
they moved off and I moved into a sort of a more rural area of Colombia with the kind of notion that, you know, nothing's going to happen here right now. Let's see what happens in Europe. But keep an eye, one eye on what I'm doing because I had this plan to go and visit it, go trekking, meet a family and do all this kind of stuff in Colombia that I hadn't had an opportunity to do because I was too busy with a group. So when I got down there, this is the 15th of March, and what happened at midnight on the 16th of March, obviously I didn't anticipate very well. And on this, on the, when I got down to this, this place I was staying, which is in the middle of the Colombian outback, my wife got on the phone, eventually got signal to con contact my wife, and she, she's saying, where are, you, where are you now? <laughs> I'm in the middle of nowhere. And she said, okay, get to the nearest airport, fly back to Bogota and get get on the next flight you can possibly get on. I'm like, what? And this happened as I was having breakfast in the morning of where I was. So I'm sort of throwing down my breakfast. Uh, I put my bag, you know, I take my bag off, my backpack off to, to do something. And then I had to put it back on again and basically repack and then head off by bus to the nearest um nearest airport, which is three hours away, which would have connected me back to Bogota in one hour on a one hour flight. And by the time I got halfway to the nearest airport, they were on they were on the phone with me saying, look, prices of the, the flights have gone from five hundred dollars to eight hundred dollars to two thousand dollars to no more flights left. So Whoa. As I got near to where I could actually fly to Bogota to get home, they, they already said, just turn back and go go back to where you're staying because they've closed there's no more flights available. They're gone. Didn't matter how much how much they cost before. I couldn't actually get on any flights to connect back home. And at that, on that night, at midnight, uh, the government decided that the, the whole the borders were closed. So there was no more air travel, there was no more land travel. And that meant, that meant I couldn't go anywhere. So I, I went back, I, I sort of returned back to where I was staying and spoke to the owners and I said, can you kindly let me stay for a few days? A few days turned out to be a few weeks, which turned out to be three or four months. Because obviously the government's never said initially, this, this applies to not just governments in Colombia, but Peru and all the other countries that were kind of working in a group. Um, basically, they, they would extend it for two or three weeks, mm -hmm. and then another two or three weeks, and then another two or three weeks. So you kept thinking in two or three weeks' time, they would reopen the borders or let people go home uh, on on very restricted flights or uh, you know flight availability. Yeah. And as it happened, I actually got home on a humanitarian flight because it got so bad that. Um, there was no other option. They scheduled some humanitarian flights and I managed to get on one, luckily got on one and got back in the end of June. So, sorry. You were stranded in Colombia away from your, your family from March through June. Uh-huh. And yeah, I remember you posting on Facebook throughout this entire time. Um, what did you do with your time? <laughs> for those was a lot of time to reflect i feel like <laughs> and yeah. what what did you do fortunately the people i was staying with they were the owners of a property which had a large farm space 
So I helped them out. They had like five chicken, eight chickens and five dogs and four cats. And we, 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 we started planting, you know, aloe vera and um, harvesting limes and mangoes and all the stuff that they had on their farm. Um, where I was staying was actually a retreat, a plant medicine retreat. And hmm. so the double acted as a farm and a retreat. So we were, I was learning a lot about what the local, uh, the owners were doing and their projects, which was like to build, build some new sort of huts out of local materials, rustic sort of domes and things. So we were helping with the infrastructure that they were building on the land. And we had obviously the time to do that. Um, so I was just doing sort of odd jobs to keep myself going, but obviously I was gravely missing family and being stuck on my own in the middle of nowhere um, was difficult, as you can imagine. I, I missed my birthday, I missed my wedding anniversary, my first wedding anniversary, and um, also my son, who, who, who was away, obviously, in a different country, so... Yeah, it was difficult, but, you know, the good thing was, you know, in this day and age that we can use WhatsApp and, and free calls and yeah. being able to communicate on videos because we had um, Wi-Fi coverage where we were. So, yeah, daily calls helped um, soothe um, all of that kind of problem. But it wasn't the same. Yeah. <laughs> no, I like, bet. And... One of the things I was doing in that area was to go in and investigate some uh, ancient trails as to link in with what I used to do, what I'm doing in Peru currently, but to expand into Colombia. And I did find a, an interesting set of trails that connect, interconnect local communities around the area I was staying that really haven't been um, chartered much. Hmm. So I ended up doing spending a lot of my time going off and hiking these trails one of the problems, obviously, because of the lockdown, I couldn't even, I wasn't even allowed to leave the farm I was on and move into the community or move from one one village to the next village, you know, five miles away because they were not letting anybody move past control points on the roads. So I was yeah. going off on my own, probably taking a risk because um, we were supposed to be stationed where we were, uh, only allowed out to a weekly shop or or to go to go to a, if we needed anything medical anything urgently we could go and get stuff from a pharmacy but apart from that we were told to stay where we were and lie low until the protocols were a little bit more relaxed so unfortunately um i was so i was mostly grounded but i was sneaking off and doing little trails here and there where there was no one else so it was like I wasn't going along a road where there was police control. I was taking a back road to find a start of a trail and hike along it and then come back before I entered the village because if I got into the village, they would have seen this only white guy who's the, the only non-Colombian person um, <laughs> enter their village. So as you can imagine, everybody got out. Apart from me, everybody got out from where I was. There was no other foreigners there the whole time for the three or four months I was there. Just me. So if I'd been going wow. in, into a village, they would have recognized he's not a local quite easily. Yeah. Yeah, you do stand out, Matt, compared to, <laughs> uh, relatively speaking, to the other Colombians. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's incredible. It, it, 
it sounds like at, at the very least you were able to explore a little bit and learn a little bit more about the culture, right? I, and that's sort of the purpose you went there with. Is well, there some, yeah. Is that the silver yeah. lining that you... <laughs> I think for me, it was a little bit of a home from home because the people, the owners of the place I was staying at made me feel really uh, welcome and homely. But um, where I was based in the whole time, it, it kind of was the, the, the nature of the area. The, the scenery was very relaxed, beautiful scenery, um, canyons and sort yeah. of eco-reserve area. Um, so it wasn't a place that you can reflect on life, you know what I mean? So like all the all the things that you take for granted, all the things that are pest in life, you know, things that annoy you, traffic, noise, needless things that are really not relevant to, to things when you want to take the space away from where you are. Uh, yeah. I really had an opportunity to reflect and sort of internally reflect on what I take for granted and what I don't have and how much I appreciate now I have, now I don't have it. Mm -hmm. So it did give me a, a, it sort of threw me a challenge as well, personal challenge. Yeah. yeah. It, I, I not to undermine your experience because I know you you deeply missed your family, but of all the places to be locked up for four months, it's not it's not too bad, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, drink lots of really good local coffee, oh. and <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah, so let's let's actually make this transition then and get into Colombian tourism, and. Right. I, I remember now when we first, I don't even know if it was our first podcast, we've talked so many times now, but I remember us having a discussion at one point and you saying that Colombia is going to be like what Peru is now. Um, the tourism industry is still developing there, there, the infrastructure for tourism is still a work in progress and the country uh, is is still relatively unexplored for Westerners, especially the typical vacationer type Westerner. Mm -hmm. I know people, Westerners have been backpacking from, you know, through Colombia for a long time and do it quite often. But so what I want to, I want to get into what you have in mind for Colombia through your tours. But first, let's tackle the big question. Is Colombia dangerous? Because that's, that's, that's something that it, 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 for the United States, for some reason, it still has the uh, reputation of being this cocaine kingdom where, you know, cocaine is being brought into the United States, which I find it odd because pa the Pablo Escobar era was so long ago. Most young, I don't even remember when it was. What was it, the 80s or something? I think in he the was early 90s. 93, I think. It was 93. 94. Yeah. Okay. So... Let's first get into safety and cocaine, not do cocaine, talk about cocaine, and and then get into the tourism and why those things are not impacting tourism. Yeah. And just the general misconception of safety, like the the average American traveler's perception of Colombia is a is negative. It is that I can't travel there because it is not safe for me or my family. Okay. So let me start by a, a common phrase that the Colombians use, which is no dar la papaya, which basically means don't show off your, your valuables, don't wear jewelry, don't show off and give them the sign that you're easy to rob or you're easy money or you're loaded with money. So that's a saying Colombians use is no dar la papaya. Okay. 
And, um, you know, just use your common sense, man. I, I, so many people have this issue uh, that they're going to get robbed. Now, obviously, if you, you're visually looking like you could be a target, you are a target. Now, I don't know whether it's luck, whether I'm I'm just very careful and I'm I, I take I take no no chances. But the last four or five times I've been in Colombia, nothing has happened to me, and nothing has happened to any of my tourists or travelers that have traveled with me. Now, that's not to say maybe I've been I've been blessed with good luck or good fortune, um, but I guess a lot of people are well informed and when you're well informed and you take local advice or take travelers advice especially from people who have traveled a long time and been in many countries you take um you don't take the the, the usual um cost you know you're you're more with um following what people advise and using your own vigilance so if you only take out, I don't know, enough money for a few beers and you get really drunk. This is an example, obviously. And you get robbed. You've lost whatever beer money you were going to spend. Okay? Um, if you're staying in a big city, you don't go down the dark, dark streets. Um, I know that people who do go off to look for narcotics or do these these um, dodgy deals in the street corner are the ones that are likely to get into trouble. Whether it's not with um, with the people they're dealing with, it can also be with the, the corrupt police. So just don't get yourself into a scam by looking for trouble. And um, that goes with goes without saying for any city across the world. And by yeah, the way, absolutely. I'm talking about the cities here. I I feel if I know the city well enough i know where to go and where not to go so i don't go looking for trouble i go to the streets where they're well lit there's probably cctv and most hotels have those kind of locations you'd have to look really hard and far to find a place that's not in a good location and why why you would why you would want to stay there in the first place okay so i'm talking about bogota medellin these are the big cities. Cartagena is another popular uh, city of the, the main ones that people go and visit when they come to Colombia. But if you just tend to body swerve, you know, you can do a lot, in, a lot of research on the internet nowadays and find local forums that can give you out the advice that you need. Yeah. And just say, where's safe, where's not safe. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when I'm advising people to go out in the city and to enjoy themselves, I usually say go go out in a few people in a in a group of a few people. Don't go out on your own. Don't go down a dark alleyway, and don't go out carrying lots of money that you don't need to spend on you. Keep it in the safety deposit at the hotel or hostel or whatever accommodation you've got. Um, you don't need to carry everything out with you the whole time. Um, so yeah, these are general rules to follow. Honestly, it sounds like these are things that you would do in any city anywhere you go. Not just yeah. Colombia. So it's, I think that's the main distinction is that I would I follow those rules when I travel to cities in the U.S. It's pretty standard. Yeah, and it's easy to have the uh, situational awareness to know that this is a this is a decent area. This is a decent bar. 
I'm okay right now. You can and use that everywhere you go. Yeah. And so really, Matt, which would I guess I'm speaking for you, but Colombia is not really any more dangerous than anywhere else at this point, right? And and speaking relatively as far as like tourism goes and and things like that, right? It the the country has evolved. It's no longer this cocaine-ran city. No. No, you're going back two decades for it to be its worst, probably where it got its bad rep in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, The Colombian police are now more informed um, on where where the crime hotspots are and what, you know, they watch, they're looking after the tourists because the tourists obviously come back and give their, you know, the current stats and what's happening. If someone gets robbed, unfortunately, petty crime and pickpocketing Goes goes without saying, it happens everywhere, but that does happen. Opportunities uh, are around in Colombia is no exception, if not a little bit probably worse than some other cities. But I know, for for, for example, in some European cities, uh, petty crime and um, pickpocketing happens a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Which is yeah. very common in, I mean, Las Ramblas in... Barcelona is one of the most notorious places to get pickpocketed in the world. I just looked also, I did a lot, uh, a little bit online uh, looking up and I, I noticed there's an index of homicide rates and uh, you would expect Colombia to be somewhere, I don't know, in the top 10. And I don't know how they've done it, but the index shows Colombia number 37, which is behind Peru behind Mexico, behind Brazil, behind Costa Rica. Behind Costa Rica? What? Yes. Uh, Costa Rica was number 26 on the list. Wow. So Colombia has uh, certainly getting a little bit more, let's say, um, let's say it's not a safe place, like nothing's foolproof safe-wise, but um, it's becoming safer. Yeah. Those stats always blow me away because uh, we as Americans live in a pretty violent country, unfortunately, and I always get taken back by how less violent countries around the world are. And that's going to sound backwards to a lot of people who live in the United States, but if you look into it, that's the, that's just the reality. Mm-hmm. We're one of the most violent modern nations in the in the world. So, yep. All right. <laughs> So, Matt, now that we've covered safety, I, I'm really curious about what you're actually bringing people to. What locations in the jungle, what can people expect to experience? Now, most people who travel to South America for these treks tend to flock to Peru. That's the hot spot. That's the popular place to go hiking and stuff like that in South America. So what does Brazil have to offer those types of travelers? Okay, so... I'm sorry, when Colombia, I, Colombia, not Brazil. Yeah, yeah I was Columbia. like, that's a, yeah. that's a curveball, Bob. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I think one of the biggest selling points is the fact that there's a, it's a lesser discovered country, so it's a little bit more exotic still. I looked on the stats for, for the, the amount of tourists that visit in Colombia compared to some of the other South American countries. Um, when I, I first went to Colombia, by the way, in 2007, um, Around that time, there was still a few issues regarding the paramilitary groups and the war between the government and and the narco uh, groups. 
but um, it wasn't certainly in your face and certainly in the areas, the zones that, that I didn't travel to because I was told not to. And I was, I went to the, for my first ever trip, I went to places that I felt were going to be more secure. In 2007, they had something like 1 million tourists that year. They now have about triple that amount, or let's say before the COVID started, they mm-hmm. had around about three to three and a half million travelers in 2019. Now, when I first came to Peru in 2007, sorry, 2006, they had three million tourists visiting that year. So that in itself is tripled. So going back to what you were asking before about Peru being in front and Colombia and being behind, it's still the same. But let's say Peru's moved up a gear, so is Colombia. Uh, I certainly wouldn't say it's more more structured as a country to travel. There's still a lot of things that they need to improve. But every time I go back, I see a little change, and I go, yeah, that's better. They've got more CCTV there now in the centre of Bogota, and there's a few more police that are walking around the streets. That kind of thing makes me feel even more more relaxed into bringing groups. Um, as a first-timer... That's something that I think is appealing to a lot of people. Now, depending on the type of traveler you are, it may you you might want peace of mind and ease of access as you might prioritize those things but for something someone like me and Elliot like that's that's really appealing the the experience in Peru while it was amazing to 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 have that experience it was a little too cushy from what i expected like the train ride from Ali Tantambo to Aguas Calientes was i very nice and there's a because it it's so it there i have an itch to that I want to pretend to be an explorer. I don't want to actually do it, but I do want to, I, I want to pretend that I am. And it, Peru, the infrastructure, the tourism infrastructure was almost seamless. It was that you could tell that they invest in it heavily. And what I like about Colombia, what you've said is that it's still developing and this offers a more authentic experience to a South American country. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's good to make comparisons to Peru. What I actually do is I'm getting a lot of return clients that have done a trip to Peru already, and they go, right, that set my mind at ease. I've seen Peru. I feel safe going to a South American destination. What can you offer me next time? I don't want to come back and do Machu Picchu again. I want to do something a little bit, I feel a little bit more relaxed within myself, and I want to go to travel to a more off-beaten path destination. Colombia. So Colombia becomes their new destination and they come back with me as a repeat client where they've already got the trust built up with me as an as a travel agent or a local operator. So I, I can give them the the style of tour they want depending on what they liked in Peru. So for example, if they like the adventure and the trekking, then I'll stitch together a trip that is more trekking and, and that kind of mindset. Uh, if they like the tour highlights, what I'll do is I'll offer them the cities. They do the city tour in each place, and they go to a couple other places like maybe the Caribbean, where there's some nice beaches. You know, there are white sand, uh, palm tree, crystal blue waters kind of uh, beaches that we don't get in Peru actually, um, but you find in the coast of Brazil, Mexico, Colombia, Costa Rica. So, if I get a first timer who wants to do Colombia. Then I'll, again, I'll I'll ask what's your what's your interest, you know, 
And depending on how much time that warrants, how much they can do in a tour now, if it's a seven or eight, 10 day trip, it might just be touching bases in the, in the three or four main cities. And if they can extend their trip, then that's when I'll go, let's go visit an indigenous village, meet a local tribe, or we'll go and do a four day trek uh, or, or explore more of the jungle areas, depending on what they can do in the time that they have. You know, they've got constraint for time. There's a, we're limited to what they can do. But again, I stick to, let's say, safe zones. These are parts of Colombia that tourists frequently travel through. Now, it might not be to the same volume that you get in, in Machu Picchu or in Cancun or other destinations that are popular throughout the Latin Americas, but you'll still find a volume of tourists there. And when you see a volume of other tourists, you do kind of have a little bit more, feel a little bit more in a safety net because there's other travelers there, other tourists going there for a reason. And um, definitely with Colombia, and the times that I've gone back, it is mostly backpackers. So I'm trying to offer something because backpackers will do everything independently and they'll go off uh, on a shoestring and just stay in backpackers' hostels and go surfing in the Caribbean coast. What I'm trying to do is integrate something that's not a package trip, but to the tailored to the, the client that wants a little bit of a safety net, hasn't got time to figure out over two months backpacking. And, but can still get something out of it that's off beaten track. So that's where I come in, basically. Okay. Yeah, and, and so can you get specific with what some of these destinations are? Okay, so let's start with Bogota, because it's the capital. Bogota is usually the entry and exit point, because that's where most international airlines fly in and out from. That's in Europe, that's in the States. And yeah, so we, we would start in Bogota, I would probably offer a city tour and or a walking tour of the city. And we would then, what I do, I offer, there's two, two options from Bogota. You can go directly to the Caribbean, which is the north coast of uh, Colombia. So that would maybe be Cartagena. Or we can go into the coffee zone or the zona cafetera, which is... Um, a combination of about three or four towns that are in this coffee-growing region, and you can do coffee tours. You can explore valleys, um, see the tallest palm trees in the world, which uh, the wax palms, which are a the national tree of Colombia. Hmm. And there's a place called the Kokora Valley, which you can tour or trek through this valley and see these gigantic um, palm trees that, that are like probably around 200 feet high some of them. Whoa. They're massive. Wow. So anyway, you can go divert to Caribbean and then do the do the beach stuff, or you can go through the coffee zone, or you can do both, of course. <laughs> um, Cartagena oh. is the second biggest, uh, not the second biggest city, but probably the second most popular city because it uh, it's an old colonial city or a port, a Spanish port that was built for the slave trade and the, the gems and golds that was traded between Spain and the Caribbean and, and, and the coast of the northern coast of uh, Colombia. So it's got a, it's got a col colonial history to it. It's also a walled city. So you've got this old turreted wall that goes around the old town with these cannons and some of the turrets. It's very, very, very pretty, very colonial. 
And that was the big key destination to a lot of the cruise ships. So you get a lot of the people coming off, spilling off the, the cruise liners uh, for a one-day tour of the city. So you do see a lot of North Americans, a lot of Europeans that are coming off the cruise ships. But that's really their only port of call in Colombia because, as, as you know, it's it's a port and a lot of the, the other places are inland. Um, another place that I go to, which is close to the second largest city, which is Medellin, is a place called Guatapé. Guatapé is about one hour, one hour and a half drive from, from Medellin. And Guatapé is um, a beautiful set of floodlands that look like a labyrinth of these peninsulas and waterways that you can drive around by boat. And there's a massive granite rock that go, that rises above everything, sort of protruding out of the, the waters. And you get this amazing view of this landscape. You need to see a photo to, to know what I'm talking about. But it's it's one of these um, picture postcard things like we have in Peru, you know, we have the Machu Picchu and we have Rainbow Mountain. Yeah. In Colombia, you have Guatapé in this water area, area you, of water and land all mixed together. How do you pronounce it? Guatapé. G-U-A-T-A-P-E. And it's known as the Rock of Guatapé. It's this granite rock that Whoa. comes out of the land. Wow. And you can do helicopter rides over there if you want to get a full, full panoramic feel, or you can hike up the 700 steps yeah. uh, to the top of the rock and get this, like, again, a selfie at the top if you want. Elliot is really Yeah, is this a natural <laughs> uh, basin, or is it dammed? No, it, it was dammed. It was flooded. It was uh, made into a reservoir to, to, to bring water into that area. Um, another thing that people were doing, we'll not go into it too much, but it was also a, an area where Pablo Escobar had one of his mansions bombed, one of his 600 places where, he's, where he lived at one point or another. Mm-hmm. But this mansion was built on one of the peninsulas, and it's now in ruins because the Cali cartel, his rival cartel to the Medellin cartel, yep. bombed it. So you can do a boat tour of that. You used to be able to actually go onto the ruins and walk around and see where he stashed his drugs and his money in the walls and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the the local authorities are really, it's kind of touching a nervy subject. Uh, any kind of Pablo Escobar affiliated trips now. Because of the history, it's not like something a lot of locals like to talk about. So right. to create a buzz of tourism around something that's a glitch in their history, a glitch in their history, is something that's kind of a negative effect of tourism. So they don't like to sort of announce this as a tour, but if you want, the boat will pass this mansion and you'll say, this is where Pablo Escobar stayed at one point, and you can see the ruins okay. of his bombed house if you want to know that, because it wow. is part of the history, you know? I imagine that would be a big draw for tourists to come to Colombia at this point is, you know, getting a, a a play-by-play of where Pablo Escobar, you know, lived, some of the things he's done, some of the places he's impacted, kind of like, um, I mean, just basically like if you were a fan of the Lord of the Rings and you wanted to go visit the, the movie yeah, sets. Yeah, but it's, so the thing about that is it, Pablo Escobar is real, <laughs> and he was a murderer. Um, oh, the movies and, are real. 
the their films are real. real locations. Yeah, but I kind of I, I get it from the perspective of the Colombians, where they have this brutal history, and unfortunately, it's that brutal history has the biggest had the biggest impact on Western culture. Colombia well, you don't exactly go to Germany and bring up the Nazis. To the right, Germans. exactly. And but so, I mean, you can still go to um, concentration camps. But that's more of an experience to, to to pay homage to the lives lost, not Hitler himself. You're really going to see to 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 experience the atrocities of the Holocaust, not the doer of the Holocaust. Yeah, right? but I think I mean I think if people knew exactly where Hitler died, that would be a tourist attraction. Yeah, I believe they did. He died in a bunker, right? Killed himself. Um but yeah, Speaking I of the Colombians though, Bob, I mean most most Colombians if you ask cuz I speak to the Colombians I say what's what's what are we allowed to talk about here? Uh, a lot of people are ashamed of the history, a lot of people are embarrassed by it and a lot of people are angry about it and they they, they wish their country to be seen in a different light. So to go out there and start bringing up with the tour guide, oh and where was he, where was Escobar and what happened when you know it's it's kind of touching a nerve. I wouldn't say with the whole population, but with certain people, there may be something personal that they don't wish to remember or they wish to keep bringing up every time a tourist asks them. So I think to yeah, ask the tourist not to bring bring that subject up unless it's brought up. It's it's one of those things where. Um... You know, you have Colombians who have lived there their entire lives, their families lived there their entire lives, and there's so much more um, as it relates to their culture, the food, and the, the there's there's just a lot more to Colombia than Pablo Escobar. And yes. I think it's short-sighted and inconsiderate for people to go there and only want to talk about that. Something that's not really comparable, but sort of comparable is people who come to New Jersey and think that the show The Jersey Shore is how all of New Jerseyans are act and are. Matt, I don't know if you're familiar with that show at all, but- I know of it, but I haven't watched it. Uh, yeah, there's- Watch TV. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But I can't tell you how many times when I would travel around the United States, especially, they would find out I'm, I was from New Jersey, and it'd be like, oh, Jersey Shore, yeah, you know. And then they would say like, you don't really look like that, and it's like, no, you know, it's <laughs> not it's a everybody. Very small subculture, right? There's right, so exactly. much to talk about in Colombia and the culture. They have amazing food, um, football, soccer. I mean, this is a Colombia talk. Talk about soccer and talk yeah, about right. um, sports and music. Try not Coffee, to get into right? the politics and the, and the narco trade. Talk about things that are relative to Colombia that everybody's happy to talk about because you'll find there is so much to offer other than just narco trafficking and right. the politics side of things. Right. Yeah. And, and and if you're listening to this and you are an American, think, you know, if you think about this this past president you know administration and government do you want to be related to that um every time someone brings up the united states and things like that so just consider be considerate that you don't want to tie a, a member of a community to the government to a single person that had an impact on that community things like that so okay well and that's the, the i think that's what's important about Colombia and peru is peru kind of marked itself as having all of the environments in one location and you can visit the beach, you can visit the mountains, you can visit the plains, you can visit a desert. 
And Colombia has many of those same features with access to the Caribbean and the Pacific and having mountains, jungle, and just having this incredible, incredibly vast and diverse landscape with a vast and diverse population of animals and plants. Yeah, and a diverse population of indigenous groups. Um, like if you go to the, I mean, let's start with, you have the Spanish, obviously the majority of people are Hispanic, but they have a mix, a mestizo, which is a mix of Spanish with indigenous groups. You have the indigenous groups that are all over the country, but specifically in areas around Santa Marta and um, the, the high jungles or the Sierra Nevadas. And you have the Caribbean influence because, as I said, Cartagena was a was a big port in the unfortunate slave trade, and a lot of African uh, Africans came to that part, and were always there since then. So you have a lot of um, African-looking. Um, is that correct? <laughs> you know what I mean. There's an African yeah. <laughs> uh, Spanish group, and there's a yeah. Spanish group, and there's a, an indigenous Spanish group, and there's indigenous indigenous groups. So it's a okay. big mix of different um, ethnic groups. So I imagine the food is also very diverse. Yeah, I, I actually like the Colombian food as much as I like Peruvian food. And, you know, Peru sells itself on its gastronomy. Yeah, it does. But Colombia is a close rival. A lot of Colombians, of course, being biased, will tell you that Colombian gastronomy is better than the Peruvians. Oh, they have to. They don't They don't sell it as much. And that's, that's like a whole round uh, thing goes they, 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 they maybe undersell themselves a little bit with the tourism because you're hard put to find if you type in traveling companies or travel in colombia you find a lot less come up than you would say typing in peru traveling companies or whatever so it is a destination that's sort of a little unassuming but yeah. they they could promote better i think definitely when it comes to food you you have um, the Caribbean influence, seafood. They do their own style of ceviche. They have um, a specific dish called paisa bandeja, which is um is a massive plate. It's like a big um, grill, cook, cooked grill, and you have the, the chorizo, you have the steak, you have the pork, you have avocado, you have um, red beans, you have rice, you have um, fried, banana, fried banana plantain. And if you want to just eat something to keep yourself going for a few, few, few days, then you, you would go for this staple uh, dish called the uh, Paisa Bandeja. They also make a, a soup called Achiaco, which is like a chicken stew. It's just basically a chicken soup with veg, vegetables in it, but it's really tasty. Um, arepas, I'm sure you've heard of arepas, which are like a mm. kind of like a pancake bread, but they, that's a staple breakfast um, dish. So you would have arepas in the morning with eggs and maybe with uh, cheese. Sometimes they stuff the cheese in the middle of the arepa, so it's all melted. It's really tasty. Washed down with a really good coffee. And also patacones. Patacones is like the banana or the, the fried plantain. Yeah. And they mash it down to a sort of make a sort of pancake of it, 
So it's basically fried mashed banana, but in the shape of a, a small pancake. They're delicious. That also comes along with breakfast, but it's also a side order to to your main dishes as well. Fun fact, I learned how to make those when I was in Costa Rica. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of the Latino food spills on into different countries, you know. Things that you, you tend to find avocado in the mix with everything and rice and beans in the mix with everything. And that goes all the way from Mexico down down to South America, right? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. So what are some like big destination spots? Like when we think of Peru, we obviously think of, you know, Machu Picchu and the Incan Trail and Cusco as these destination locations. Does Colombia have something similar or is it more so the just the country itself and the people, the food and there i imagine there's history with the spanish being there but is there this infrastructure from past indigenous people so like there is a top five or top 10 destination list that's always going to come up with cartagena uh, medellin and bogota they're the main okay. cities that people would travel to mainly because of the biggest ones or some of the biggest ones and also because of the connections that you can get in and out and obviously the infrastructure will host um so there's lots of hotels you'll have your big chains you'll have your resorts you'll have your marriott's and your hilton's but you also have backpacker hostels and anything in between so these are the main city destinations if you wanted to just do a city hopping tour you would do bogota medicine cartagena and maybe one other city if you wanted to do something a little bit more time consuming then the big trek of this the big seller of treks goes as the lost city trek which is in mm. an area in the north of uh, colombia near to the colombian coast you can actually see the coastline from the start of the trek as you start elevating up into the, the hills that become the mountains um that four-day trek tends to appeal to really backpackers but the reason why a lot of other people could do it as long as you've got a general good level of fitness the elevation it doesn't go above 1500 meters which is about 5,000 feet so it's nowhere near on the level of the Inca trail or other high trekking options um the coastline so if you go to the north coast of colombia you'll find cartagena Buca, um Barranquilla? Uh, yeah, Barranquilla and Santa Marta. And the, these three cities are, that are based on the coast are usually places for people to get to and then explore the beaches in between. Uh, there's a famous park between Santa Marta and the Venezuelan border called Tyrona. And Tyrona is a UNESCO-nominated uh, reserve. It's protected reserve. A lot of the indigenous groups that we've just mentioned uh, are based in that park. You'll find many species of animals, birds, um, and also monkeys and things like that. It's also got some beautiful, beautiful beaches. These picture postcard beaches that you might find if you type in beaches of Colombia or Caribbean beaches, you're going to find that are on the coast between the park itself. So it's like a jungle. And as soon as you leave, the park, you're at the beach. You know mm, what I mean? Okay. So as the beach starts, the jungle finishes, wow. vice yeah. versa. And those white sand, crystal blue waters, these are your typical beaches that you can find around the coastline of Tyrona, 
towards Santa Marta and then the other way towards Palomino. I'm looking so at beaches, it right now. I know, I am too. It looks, it looks beautiful. Yeah. Beaches are popular. Um, surfing's big there. Uh, diving. If you do scuba diving, there's a, yeah. quite a few scuba diving companies set up there. Uh, you can go and get your scuba diving courses done there as well. So it appeals to a mix of people. Um, I have a, a trip to Colombia coming up in 10 days, and it's primarily a yoga group. So they're going to stay in this beach town called Palomino, which is famous for surfing. It's also kind of like a hippie stop off, but um, they're going to do a yoga retreat there. So there's lots of things that they can enjoy in a relaxed atmosphere on the beach itself. And also uh, you can do what I'm offering at the moment with my trips is a, a visit to an indigenous community or indigenous village where you meet a local tribe. Um, there's three or four different tribes that live in this area. Um, most are descendants of the people who came from Asia into the Americas. And you've got your Mayans and you've got your Incas. They were somewhere in between those kind of groups. And okay. they set up in this area around Tyrona uh, and this Lost City Trek, which is also in the same area. And uh, the names of the tribes, there's four different tribe groups. And we visit one of them called the Wiwas. The Wiwas. There's also the Arawakas. And I can't remember the name of the other two. Uh, Kogis is one of them. But basically, they have their own culture and they have their own dress and they have their own code. So when you go to visit them in a village, you have to respect, you know, what they do in their village. And it's really interesting way to see their way of life. So you can go and see a modern day coastal Caribbean city and then within one hour's drive, be away from there and into, into a community that's not changed very much over the course of time since the conquest came wow that's pretty wild that's, yeah it is and can you tell us more about the wiwas okay so and, and, and the experience like as it relates yeah. to the actual experience yeah they're quite private people um they refer to their anyone that's foreigner as a younger brother okay so they are very spiritual people so the pachamama that kind of sense of being at one with the earth and nature applies to those those groups of people. They're very, very into nature. And to be honest, they're a little bit peeved off of the way um, things are going in the current status with the climate change and the way we're mistreating the planet. They, they have their own voice. And they, they I've watched a few videos made by some of these indigenous groups, and they're not happy with the way Westerners have taken things into their own arms and chopping down trees or whatever it is that we've done to jeopardize a lot of the nature that surrounds these guys and what, what they've lived with for generation upon generation. So um, we do get to visit their villages and we get usually uh, an in-depth uh, speech from their native chief. Um, what you would tend to find in a sort of, let's say a two-day visit to an, an, an indigenous village. We would go uh, hiking, obviously, with a local guide who knows if the tribe makes a contact, introduce us, um, and tell us about the typical clothes that they wear, which is all naturally made or woven. 
Uh, most of it's white from head to toe, they wear white. Uh, the chief will have a hat that's shaped kind of like a cone, but curves inward, sort of introvert, in, inverted curve that goes up to the top like a bell, right? Hmm. Um, the women are not allowed to wear shoes on their feet, but the men can. So you tend to find uh, anyone that's male has boots, these black Wellington boots that they walk around in. And the females, they don't have anything on their feet. Hmm. And sometimes it's hard to tell what, apart from that, what, which is male and which is female, because they, they wear their hair long. The men wear their hair long, but the women wear, wear their hair long, obviously. So there's no, it's very hard to distinguish by their hairstyle who's a male, who's a female. So you got to do it by their feet. <laughs> yeah. And they tend to wear white. Um, it's like a gown. It's kind of like a, it's, I don't know, like a... Like a tunic? Like a, what do you call it in the, the, the Greeks? What do they do? Togas. togas. Kind of like a toga. Now, the three or four tribes uh, wear kind of similar clothing. I would say it's exactly the same because I'm not that detailed on, on that kind of knowledge. But mm -hmm. I've seen pictures of the different people wearing the tribal gowns and they look kind of similar. The thing that's different is the village chief wears a different style of hat. So I think the Wewa tribe have the bell shaped, but a couple of the other different like the Kogis and the, the other tribes that I mentioned, they have a different type of hat that the, the, the chief wears. And a lot of their uh, traditional arts is um, for, like we go to their village, they explain how to they traditionally dye and weave their textiles. And we get a chance to mingle in and, and do, it, do it the way they do it traditionally. But also if we want to buy any of their products or purchase their products, we can, we can do that as well. And then we usually get to go to a village. So let's say we stay at a camp outside the village. We don't stay inside the village in, a, in someone's house because, as I said, they're quite private in that sense. So we'd stay in a, in a camp nearby to the village. Um, and then we'd walk in to the village and they would tell us a little bit about the village. But as they're, they're private people, we're, ten, we're not allowed to take photos or very... Very often, we're not allowed to take anything personal of a, of a face of someone. So if we were to say, stand back from the village and get a group of people in the distance with a few houses in the distance, that might be okay. But if we were to go directly up to someone and say, can I get a photo with you and pose for the camera or a selfie, then that would be extremely considered extremely intrusive. So we'd, we're not allowed to really be that hands-on, if you know what I mean. So, as I said, we respect the culture and we learn a little bit about the culture, but we're not um, we're not intrusive about it. Wow, yeah, and they they're okay with with Westerners coming and hanging out and experiencing their culture. They are, but they are also, um, as I said, they're quite private people. So you tend yeah. to find when we come to the village, a lot of the people that are not part of. Uh, that, you know, like the, the chief that will come and tell us some information and the people who come and show us how they make their handicrafts or do their weaving. Mm -hmm. These people are okay and we can take the photos of them, but the people that are just generally going about their own business, minding their own business, if they see us coming in, they tend to scurry away into into their houses. Yeah. They, they, they built these roundhouses, they're sort of mud brick roundhouses with straw roofs, okay. like a teepee, and... Um, yeah, you tend to find these are the houses that the locals live in and 
when they see us coming, they they don't want to hang around in case I guess we might be taking photos or get a bit too close. But that's fine. I mean, I'd rather it stayed like that and it preserves the culture more than them to end up being like you know Disneyland and and having to put on a silly face to just take a selfie with the with the the tourists that wants a photo with them. I'd rather it stayed more preserved in that sense. Yeah. So we get a fly in the wall, but we're not, you know, we're not overly uh, stepping our mark. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And is this part of the, I, I think in our notes, and you kind of talked about this with us prior to the show, the, the Camino Real? Okay, so I was talking about the Tyrona Park and the area around the north part of Colombia, which is Caribbean coastline. That includes the Lost City Trek. Okay. And that includes the Tyrona Park and where a lot of these indigenous communities live. Okay. Um, the Camino Real, which is in a, a region called Santa Amber, which is where I was in lockdown, uh, is a set of uh, ancient trails that connect, interconnect small villages or rural villages of that area. And okay. it was built in the 18, in the 19th century by a guy called uh, Gio van Lingerke, who was a, a German who escaped Germany after he committed, uh, I believe he committed murder, but he came over uh, to Colombia in the 1850s and he uh, decided to set up uh, a village-to-village communi- communal route. That's something similar to the Inca trails, let's say it's stone pathways that the, the locals used to They've been used by the indigenous communities beforehand, but he kind of, um, let's say, refurbished them. And he set up these beautiful stone pathways, which is what I was exploring in my time in lockdown. And uh, he used them to exploit the um, agriculture and the trade. He made them trading routes uh, Mm. to make money basically, from the local people, which is a bit sad, but that's what he did. But he did restore the trails rather well, which are still beautiful walkways today. But he'd been using them initially to export trade uh, in between different areas. So tobacco, cacao, coffee, um, different types of fruits. He was using these, these roads to export things in and out. And he put taxis on these roads to get money for himself. So I kind of exploited the area. But as I said, those trails, those um, stone pathways are still intact. And they are some things similar to the Inca trails that I hike in, in Peru. So if someone wanted to do that trip with you, um, how many days would they spend and what kind, what would that tour look like going on the, the Camino Real? So you would fly to Bogota, right? Let's say, take everything out that we've talked about, this is purely a trekking trip. Yeah. Coming along the trek hoppers um, aspect that I do in Peru, where you stay with local communities and move on the next day on another section of trail to the next community, right? Mm-hmm. I would say it would be a 10-day trip. You'd fly into Bogota just because you have to. Then you would connect to the nearest airport to the, the region of Santander, which is Bucaramanga. You would then travel to a town called Barichara. Barichara is in the Lonely Planet. It's, in, it's Colombia's most beautiful village or town. And it is very beautiful. And basically, it's it just 
if you see photos again, you, you'll know what I mean. Anyway, so you get to Barichara, and Barichara is kind of the heart of that area where you can go off in different segments of trail and interconnect different villages. I could probably do six or seven days of individual trails. So you would stay one night in one village near Barichara and then hike, hike one day into the next village, stay overnight there, and then hike the next day into Barichara and so on and so forth. Probably could interconnect about four or five villages over six or seven days. I'd probably put a rest day in between the first three days and the second three days. Okay. And some of these trails, by the way, are, are no longer than two or three hours hike, but some of them are 10 or nine hours hiking as well. So it oh, depends wow. how much hiking you're doing the day before and the day after, whether you, whether it warrants a stay over in one of the guest houses. I'm using guest houses because that's, that's the best available option. If I could do homestays, I would offer homestays, but it's mostly hostel style guest houses that are in these villages. Um, there's one or two of these Camino Real, that's the name that was given to these, um, these um, trails. Uh, one or two that are known, but the rest of them are very little known. Um, not even the locals know about them. So when I was going off and, and hiking these routes and doing, I, I used the, the wiki, wiki lock, you know, wiki lock, which you can monitor different trails. Oh yeah, Google Earth or Google Maps. Mm -hmm. So I went and did a lot of the trails and worked out the distances and elevation gains and drops um, personally because there was not a lot of information documented on these trails. And I also went into the village uh, not to meet people, but just from the outside, took a few photos so I knew where to go. But I also found uh, through the contact I had in the in, in where I was staying that there was people renting properties that were guest house houses in each of the villages that I wanted to, to hike to. So I've got all the contacts now in a, in a list on my phone of who I can stay with and where I can go in each village if I was to do the trek again. Wow. So I would obviously operate that trip now. I know it, but as I said, it's, it's, I would, I would have to offer it as a, a seven or eight day trip to really appreciate all of the area because everything's a hidden gem there. So you wouldn't want to miss one thing and do the other. Yeah. Um, so I would appeal to hikers that we could maybe do a 10 day trip and have at least six days where they're actually hiking on that trip. In total, what do you think the length is? Because if you, Lonely Planet has a little guide on El Camino Real and it, mm -hmm. their section is only, the section that they mapped is only nine kilometers. So like a two to three hour hike at best. Yeah. And I mean, with you saying that some of these hikes are 10 hours, that's way more these than nine the, kilometers. Yeah. These are the, the, that's like 25, 28, 30 kilometers, yeah. which is what, 18, 20 miles. Yep. Um, these are ones that would be off beaten track. These are ones that, that you wouldn't know to, you wouldn't know how to, to do unless you really went to the area and figured it out yourself or spoke to someone who was a local. So that's, that's where I fit in because yeah, the lonely planet will tell you that, that I'm sure it's between Barichara and Guani, mm -hmm. yep. right? That's a two and a half year. That's the one that everybody knows. Yeah. But to do more than that doesn't appeal to every, the average tourist that just want to visit Barichara, which is a, pleasant town to go and have a coffee and, and a cake and an ice cream um, and then go and do a two-hour hike to the other village and then take a bus back to Barichara. What they could do is do six days and Barichara is somewhere in the middle 
and interconnect between the other trails that nobody knows yeah and finishing barichara or starting barichara so yes there's lots of options there but you need to know where to go so maybe like a you think it'd be about 120 kilometers in total uh, I, I I think I've marked out depending on a, on how many days I, I've got about six or seven different segments that I would do, including the one you've got in the Lonely Planet there. I think it totals around about a hundred to hundred and twenty, depending on how much you want to do or not do, because you can escape by say you want to evade the ten day sorry the ten hour hike day, you can take a bus or you can take a car and mm. get to the next village, but you'll You'll not do the you'll not do the route that that goes off beaten track. You'll just follow the road to the next village, and then yeah. you can catch up with the rest of the the trekking bits that are easier from the next stage uh, next stage onwards. If you want huh. to do it like that's that, that's pretty awesome. It sounds incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, you have me sold, man. I'm ready I've sent you some Columbia. photos of that of some of the the, the stone the stone walkways. Mm-hmm. You get yeah, I saw that. The terrain. Mm-hmm. There's some beautiful views. You're actually hiking in and out of a canyon called the Chicamoca Canyon. It's a massive, I would say it's on the, on the same scale as the Grand Canyon, but it's got some beautiful plateaus that you can look down into the canyon and you actually hike in and out of that, sort of zigzagging your way down the canyon. Um, it's really something that a lot of people, I mean, Colombia is a, is a starting point. Not many people get there. <laughs> maybe your average backpacker it really just travels south america yeah. but to do this on top is quite quite unique i mean i don't think you'll know many people that have written a blog on the camino real for example the, might be the real camino real the real yeah. <laughs> the real camino real yes <laughs> Yeah, and that's why it's so enticing, and that's why we're having this conversation. Yeah, because it it feels like you're more of an explorer at that point and not just following in someone else's footsteps. Yeah, it's been done a while ago, but this is like kind of reliving it now as a modern day. Yeah, yeah, and there's nature, and there's there's wildlife, and there's stunning views. If you're a photographer. You'll not be bored every day. You'll get something out of each day that is something different from the day before. Yeah. The fact that it's not in Lonely Planet is pretty amazing. Yeah. That, that they don't have anything on it yet. And how much information is still lacking on this? You're sort of a pioneer in a way, Matt. You're one of them, right? At at, at bringing these tracks to light. Yep. Um, there's something that, so I, I know I sound like a broken record, but that gringo trail that we explored while we were in Peru from Cusco to Machu Picchu, was amazing like every second of it i i i loved every minute of that trip oh yeah but but having it in the back of your mind that that same exact path has been taken by millions of people every single year millions of people do that same trip it's kind of it it doesn't take away from the experience in any way but it kind of just makes you think that I don't know. It, it wasn't special. It, well, it wasn't special. It wasn't special, uh, you know, but this has a whole new feeling to it. And I'm, I'm excited to, to come check it out with you. So Something that's more special is something that hasn't isn't been seen before. So that Machu Picchu, of course, it's an amazing place. But how many pictures have you seen before you get there? So you kind of half anticipate what you're already going to go to see. Yeah. Now, Colombia is maybe another thing that, that, that is a hindrance rather than something 
that gives it the promotion value that, that say, credits Peru or Brazil is it doesn't have a new wonder of the world yeah. and that iconic thing it hasn't discovered for itself yet, you yeah. know? Mexico has the Mayan pyramids of Chichen Itza. Brazil has Christ the Redeemer, Machu Picchu, Peru, Rome Colosseum, etc., etc. But there's no iconic thing that we'd sell Colombia on the front page of a brochure yeah, or, a, right, or a, right. you know, a, a sign or whatever. It has a lots of lots of interesting things like that rock, for example, yeah. that rock that comes out of this amazing landscape. Uh, the Caribbean beaches, but not one thing. It just makes it that iconic thing that makes it one thing for the country, which is good in a way because it means there's more than one thing to see rather than just get to Peru for one thing. Yeah. of people, I won't say everybody, but there is a vast majority of people that are not interested in anything Peru else, anything else in Peru that's offered by Peru except to get to Machu Picchu take the photo, take the selfie, got the t-shirt, been there, done it. In Colombia, you've not got that one thing to go to and come back. You've got to actually go and explore a bit more to delve into a country that can offer these kind of unassuming places that take you by surprise. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm point. excited. I think it'll be nice. I mean, we talked about this with Scott Light, who does the Ethnoco uh, down in Peru, and he does these Amazon tours. And it sounds like we're going to have to do a 14 to 20 day trip with start with Scott and then on the way back, stop in Colombia and do a trip with you on El Camino Real. And well, I hope it's a commute. This year. Yeah. It's a, it's an air, by the way, if you fly from Lima to Bogota, it's only a two and a half hour flight. So not only is it quite a cheap flight, but it's also um, a, a very, very easy connection to do mm -hmm. from, from Lima. So you could do your thing in the Amazon before or after. I actually offer that to any client, any person that wants to do a trip that combines more than one country. It's a perfect mix and match because you can do seven days, Machu Picchu and, and, the, and whatever else that you want to include in that time and do the other seven days in Colombia. And that's why I ran this trip. This trip I had in February this year before the, the quarantine and the whole virus thing started. We, we did, some of my group did Peru, did Machu Picchu. Then we got back to Lima we hopped on a flight, a two and a half hour flight or three hour flight to Bogota. And then we did a seven day trip there and they went home because they only had two weeks. So two seven day trips and the rest that could stay on for the rest of Colombia did the, the four day hike and all that stuff. Yeah. So if you wanted to get a little taste of something, you could combine it with the Amazon. No problem. That'd be great. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I mean, we might have to do three weeks and combine it with Bolivia and meet uh, Alan. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, well, from Cusco, from Cusco, by the way, you can get to the get to Bolivia in a, in a twelve hour bus ride, or you can go via Lake Titicaca, which is the largest yeah. lake in South America, the highest navigable lake in the world. So you can cross over Lake Titicaca, which from Cusco to say Lake Titicaca is seven hours on a bus. Okay. Stay overnight on the Peruvian side, then hop over the border to the Bolivian side, and then from the Bolivian side, you're two hours, two and a half hours to La Paz, which is where Alan's based, yeah. or was based. So you, you could probably, I don't know how much time you want to spend in the Amazon and what part of the Amazon you would be going to, but it is possible to do all three. It would be a bit tight 
but you could probably do all three. So you would do seven days in Colombia and I don't know, four or five days in the Amazon and two or three days in Bolivia. You'd probably have to include a couple of extra flights just to save you the, the, the time taken on the overland journeys. Doable. Very it's not doable. impossible. Yeah, I I, I love it. <laughs> not impossible. Well, I'm going at all. too many ideas to you guys now. Yeah, you, yeah. you always do, Matt. You always do. Yeah, Matt. Before we start to close out this episode, I want to give you the opportunity. Give us your website. I know you have a new tour company, new website. Uh, give us all that information. Okay, guys. So it's www.southandistravel.com. All one word, so South Andes travel, small letters all together, yeah. Um, and most of the stuff is Peru because that's where I'm based. But we have started to branch in into Colombia and into Bolivia. A lot of our, the itineraries that are on the website are just suggestions or ideas to go from, like a sort of a blueprint. <laughs> hey. But we don't uh, we don't deny anyone if they've got any specific route they want to do. And of course, if people come to us with questions and say, what can you offer for us? We're into nature, we're into hiking, we're into history. Then we can tailor make it around their own interests. Yeah, that's what I, I really like about what you do is you consider the individual and and you mold tours around what their their interests are. Yeah. And it's you, it's you and your wife doing the tours, right? And you have a few other people helping you? We are a small family-run team. Uh, I'm the foreigner, but I'm the English speaker. <laughs> and we have my wife and her daughter who are part of the team and a couple of extra people that we call upon when necessary to, to run certain elements of our trips. Um, we call the shots from where we are because we're local. And I guess, you know, We've got the guides, we've got the drivers. These are all local people that we employ to do the jobs for us. Um, but we are the, the guys that speak out and market their products and get, get the job done with them. And most of most of our clients, it's word to mouth. We're not big into um, marketing. We don't have, like, we don't spend lots of money on trying to get up the Google ranks or do any of that kind of stuff. Um, you can find us on TripAdvisor and you can find us on Facebook. But yeah. most of our clients are repeat clients or word-to-mouth clients, and we're happy with that. Yeah, I mean, you have 15 reviews on TripAdvisor, and they are all raving about you. And, I mean, Bob and I can speak from experience. We had that trip with you, that little tour in Peru, and it was phenomenal. Yeah, in Pesach, yeah. Thanks, guys. Well, you come back, and we'll have a beer again. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. All right. And Matt, this is a new segment that we did not do with you last time. And we if we have you on again, we'll have to do it then and the answers may be different. But this is a 12 question rapid fire round. And the idea is that you <laughs> answer with whatever comes to your mind first. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah. Shoot. All right. What is the first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word travel? Uh, mountains. What home comfort do you miss the most while traveling? Fish. <laughs> All right. Now, is that is that Scotland fish or Peruvian fish? Salmon. Salmon. We don't get salmon here. It's a Scottish uh, thing. Oh, uh, okay. If you could swim in any liquid, what would it be? Um, 
Chocolate. <laughs> Who would win in a fight? An accountant or a banker? Oh, uh, banker, because he's, he's more mischievous and needs need, needs to fight for, for things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh this might be a t- might be an easy one. I'm not sure. Uh would you rather drink wine or coffee for the rest of your life? Um I don't know. I I guess I guess coffee I can handle. Being in Colombia, you better pick coffee, right? Yeah, coffee. Go go yeah. for coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Say hello in your favorite language. Uh What was that? that is that Russian? Russian, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. That's your favorite language. I spoke. I spoke Russian for quite a while. Uh, I don't. Learn, I've forgotten a lot now. But I lived in Ukraine uh, for nine months, and I traveled on the Trans-Siberian train for quite a long time on my own through Russia. Um, so yeah, I was. I was living with a, a, a Russian-speaking family in Kiev for for nine months, and they didn't didn't tolerate any english speaking so i learned quite fast but i've forgotten it quite quickly as well <laughs> this is this is something we didn't know about you um if you can travel with anyone in the world living or dead who would it be um my wife probably yeah there you go what is one item remaining on your bucket list Ooh. um Nepal mm. doesn't have to be the Everest trek, but one of the high Himalayan treks. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I would want to do one of those. I don't necessarily think I want to do Everest, but maybe something no. a little smaller. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> if you could pick an actor to play you in a movie, who would you pick? <laughs> oh God, uh, go on, Leonardo DiCaprio. All right. Solid, solid, solid. <laughs> you might win an Oscar for that. Yeah. Oh, did you see The Revenant? That was pretty good. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. I liked it. All right. If you were stuck in one city for the rest of your life, what city would you choose? Mm. <laughs> if you were stuck in one city for, for quarantine. <laughs> I think it'd probably have to be Cusco because that's where I'm closest to. Yeah. Yeah. Great city. If you owned a yacht, what would you name it? Um, <laughs> Felicitas. It's the name of my wife, Feli. Felicitas. All right. Last question. If you, what is one piece of advice you would give the decade younger version of yourself? Don't drink too much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Solid. That <laughs> solid. Is solid. I would do that too. That yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> Matt. Thank you so much for coming back on again. Learned a ton about Columbia, of course, uh, and we're going to have to book our trip. You know, something that I think we should do is when Elliot and I do start to plan and book the trip, we should reach out to other people within the Traveler's Blueprint community and maybe we'll make a group a group trip of it. So yeah. thank you for taking your time today. You. I know we'll be in touch. You'll probably come back on again. Um, but in the meantime, have fun down there in Colombia and Peru. Cheers, guys. Columbia 
it it ticks a lot of boxes for me. Some and so a lot of the things I consider when I'm picking out my next destination, I like to go off the beaten path. I like to escape Western culture. I like to enjoy the outdoors, and I like to explore cities that are unfamiliar to what I would typically ever experience. And I guess that's a reason why most people travel. But Colombia is, I love how it has like this unknown feeling. And I know that's not real. Like I know a lot of people still go to Colombia, but overall, relatively speaking, it's still off the beaten path. I mean, at least that's how I'm considering it. No, I I agree. I think I think Colombia has a lot of the same assets that Peru does in a lot of South American countries. I think it gets a bad rap because of the the drug empire that was there right. because of some of the civil strife they had in the late 90s or I guess early 90s and late 80s. And that seems to have all kind of cleared up. And I mean, with Matt, you are going to be with someone who knows the country. You're going to be safe and you're going to experience some awesome stuff, like some trails that very few people have ever seen. And this is going right. to be potentially the next Peru. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I love it. I can't wait to go. I can't wait to go. It's, 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 it's really kind of frustrating because there's like this not because I know I'm going to go, but I don't know when. <laughs> and, I, and it's just, I, I want to be yeah. there. I want to be I want to, I want to walk. What did we call it? El, the Camino Real Real mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or Real Camino Real. <laughs> Camino uh, Real just yeah. is translated real street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's only one section that's listed in Lonely <laughs> Planet, but Matt has found another hundred kilometers right. of it. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So it's the real, real street. And that's something too that I look forward to doing, hopefully, is, is focusing the Columbia trip on more of the outdoor experience because Peru, we did a lot of the, cities. we spent a lot of time in cities and we didn't spend yeah. as much time outdoors. Whereas maybe for Colombia, we just grab the backpacks and we get lost in not, not actually lost, but yeah. mentally, mentally lost in Colombia. Yeah. I'd be down mm -hmm. with that. It sounds like yeah. a great trip. And maybe even just combining that with Peru and Bolivia again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, no, not again, but just yeah, three week, three or two week trip. Matt's got it all figured out for us. That's the beauty it. of it too. Yeah. And if you're if you're listening and you're interested, uh, Matt's looking for groups. Yeah, book with them. Book with them. Seriously. Like I, I if if you listen to this podcast and you're going to Peru and you're not hitting up Matt to or go to Scott. Columbia or, or yeah, yeah, Scott's another one too. Yeah. Um, I think that with all the conversations we've had with them, they're your guys. They're your yeah. guys. Yeah. And they're not gonna out. be your typical group trip. It's gonna be intimate still, and it's gonna be a lot of fun. And that's why they that's why they came on the podcast. Yep. So mm -hmm. thank you so much for listening. As always, we really appreciate your time. And if you love the show and want ways to support us or are looking for ways to support us, there are two routes. One is the non-financial route where you could support us through following us on social media and leaving us a review on whichever podcast platform you listen on. You can comment on our YouTube videos. We love that. We love interacting with you that way. And the financial route is being able to support us through Patreon, which is you can find through our website. As little as a dollar a month helps go towards helping us pay for our subscriptions or monthly fees and even buying new technology. New technology? No, new stuff for to produce the show. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> and you are our biggest advocate, so sharing this show with your friends, with your family 
helping grow the show. It is it means a lot to us and we always like it. It helps us get new and really creative, interesting guests. So thank you for listening and tune in next week.